So as I mentioned, I didn't sleep well last night. Have you ever, have you ever experienced that kind of night where you struggled sleeping? Maybe it was really hard to fall asleep. Maybe it was really hard to stay asleep. You, you tossed and turned. You were kind of in and out. You might have been curling up in a ball or stretching out and sprawling. You're just not getting into that deep sleep that brings rich rest. Now, I should clarify the difficulty you're experiencing sleeping at in this moment in time. It is not due to reasons of sickness because you have a cold or because your body's hormones are not in their typical normal state. You're not having difficulty sleeping because of physical pain. In this case, it is more psychological. You're stressed. You are anxious. There's tension in your soul. And this anxiety has less to do with worry about things in life like doing well on a test or your job performance. And it is more you're worrying about attacks on your character or perceived attacks on your character. Someone criticized you. Someone said something about you and you can't stop thinking about it. It's disappointing. It is painful. As such, you're fidgety and jittery during the day. You have trouble focusing. And when you go to bed at night, when you just want some sleep, you're restless. You're nervous. You can't clear your head. Well, several weeks ago, we began a summer preaching series working through the first several psalms. And this morning, we come to Psalm 4. If you have your Bibles with you, or you're following along on a, on a Bible app on your phone, you may want to begin doing that now. We're, we're going to jump around a little bit. We will have much of the verses on the screen, but I'm, I'm going to be moving around a bit in the passage, um, and, and so it might, may be helpful to be able to view it in its entirety. Psalm 4 is what's known as an evening psalm. Verse 4, you find that it references beds. Verse 8 mentions lying down and sleeping. So this is a psalm that is intended to minister to God's people at night. In the context of this evening psalm, it is not one of celebration or thanksgiving or one of praise. It's written in a moment of distress. It is a psalm in the midst of the anxiety and worry and great tension many of us are prone to experience at night. David is crying out to the Lord in such a circumstance. Verse 1, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. The language, you have given me relief when I was in distress, is referring to physical space. If you've ever felt anxiety and stress where your chest is tight, where it feels like you're being pressed in and cornered in on, you have trouble breathing, your skin is crawling. 
Your clothes feel like they're too tight. Everyone seems like it is closing in on you. You need space. David is describing such a moment. Why? Verse 2 tells us in this situation, the source of his anxiety is encountering the false accusations of, of others. Oh men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Now, now we might speculate the origin of these accusations is some distant enemy. David certainly had a, a number of those while he served as king. But more likely, it was an internal source. It is likely people in David's life were verbally shaming him. Maybe the words were expressed from subjects of the king. Maybe they were neighbors. Maybe they were friends. Maybe family members. Internal origins. Those are the kind of attacks that really sting. Someone you think you have relational capital with. Accusing you. Assuming motives. Believing lies and deceit about your character. It is a punch in the gut. You want to cry. You want to distance yourself from others. You feel like things are closing in on you. It's hard to eat. It's impossible to have fun. And it's difficult to sleep. This is the circumstance David found himself in. To be honest with you all, such, such situations are not foreign to me. I hide it well, but I very much struggle with restlessness at night. My wife, she often asks me in the morning how I slept the night before because she knows I'm prone to sleep struggles. There was a particular moment a couple years ago that I, that I wanted to tell you about. Someone very close to me, an internal source, became frustrated with me. A situation blew up. Hurtful words were said. Accusations were made. Motives were assumed. There was a particular moment, I remember. I'm, I'm, leading, I'm leading a meeting at my workplace with a couple vice presidents at Hillcrest, uh, a couple other individuals in leadership. Again, I'm leading this meeting. Uh, there's a few other team members. I glanced at my phone and I saw a message from this individual. Now, I should know better not to look at my phone during a meeting. But I did. I glanced at the message. It was painful. My heart started to race. I, I, I began having trouble seeing. My stomach was churning. I had trouble thinking. I fought hard to wrap up the meeting. I made it. And when it was over, I asked one of the individuals I knew well if she would stick around. I, to be honest, I ended up throwing up. I had to have Michelle come pick me up because I could barely walk, let alone drive. Over a period of time, I experienced a couple other episodes, somewhat less severe. It was hard to focus, it was hard to be productive, and it was certainly hard to sleep. What about you? Maybe you assumed a position of leadership in the workplace or in the church, maybe in a volunteer organization. You made a decision that someone didn't agree with. People misheard or misinterpreted something you said. Accusations were made. Hurtful words were spoken. I mean, 
Aren't some of the biggest words of accusation in our culture reserved for those serving in volunteer or servant-type roles? And please know, I'm, I'm not, not talking about critiquing performance. I'm all for that. I'm talking about unnecessary attacks on character. There is a big difference at a youth baseball game between, come on, ump, that was a ball. And how can you be so blind? Or there's a big difference between, I disagree with his policy decisions, and he is so un-American. Such words directed towards you as you serve in a leadership role or volunteer can serve as a source of anxiety and difficulty sleeping. Now, maybe that, maybe that doesn't describe you, but maybe you've become distant from someone you've loved and cared for in the past. Maybe you're divorced. Maybe you're separated. Maybe you've experienced broken relationship with a friend or family member or past boyfriend or girlfriend, or maybe someone you were close to in the church. Accusations were made. Motives had been assumed. It hurts. It's like a punch in the gut. It's hard to focus, it's hard to be productive, and it's certainly hard to rest. This is a psalm written to minister to David in such a moment, to minister to me in such a moment, and to minister to God's people in such a moment. Verse 8, in peace I will both lie down and sleep. So this is our big idea this morning. Sound sleep in challenging circumstances. David will demonstrate to us. He will teach us how to have sound sleep when encountering challenging circumstances. He will give us some counsel to that end. He will cry out to the Lord in such a moment. He will acknowledge the Lord is his source of joy and security and peace and he will lie down, and he will rest. So David cries out to the Lord. He briefly describes the situation he is in, and he enters into a sort of internal dialogue with his accusers in verses 2 and 3. In doing so, he provides them some compassionate counsel on challenging course and what it looks like to rest in the Lord. Now the question is, why why does he do this? Why does he move into this conversation mode with his accusers? David is addressing temptation common to man. The, The temptation in a moment we are prone to become the accuser. To choose, and in such a moment, he is counseling us to choose something different. In the situation I described earlier, facing the accusation of someone close, I wanted to lash out. I wanted to gossip. I wanted to hurt others with my words. Pastor Chris introduced us to the term sinned against sinner last week. David is being sinned against. But but rather than simply be the one who is accused, David is very capable of becoming the accuser. So to get sound sleep... To help one prone to becoming an accuser rest rather than acting out in harmful ways, David offers some pieces of compassionate counsel. This is part of how he ministers to himself and how he ministers to us. 
to help us get sound sleep. So let's return to the words of Psalm 4. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. The first bit of compassionate counsel, repent. The people have rejected David. Now, now we're not sure if they rejected him as king or, or if he was in some other prominent position at, at the time prior to being anointed as king, but ultimately they have failed to remember it is God who established him in whatever position he currently possesses. And David is saying, hey, your accusations, you may be directing them towards me, but they're not so much being directed towards me. These accusations are more directed towards God himself. With the use of the word but in verse 3, David is telling them to repent of such actions. We didn't actually read this earlier uh, but also, if you, if you have your Bibles open, you'll notice between verses 2 and verses 3, there is this word selah. It, it means pause or turn. I am not a musical expert. My kids get nervous every time I'm up here that I may start singing. But, but that word is intended for a turn or for a transition. But selah. David is saying, hey, there's a turn you need to make here. That turn is repentance. He is pleading with them to treat him in ways the Lord treats him. The Lord is generous towards him. The Lord is loving. The Lord has set him apart for particular purposes. How often do we not honor the Lord in our interactions with others? All people are his image bearers. He is patient and compassionate towards all types of sinners. Brothers and sisters in Christ, they have been set apart. When we accuse, when we become frustrated with others, we oftentimes lack compassion and we are impatient. We treat people as objects of scorn. We do not recognize how God is generous towards them. As we act on frustrations or disappointment with others, our first step is often to repent of how we have sinned against the Lord and how we treated another. When we have made false accusations, when we have perpetuated gossip, when we have used careless words to inflict damage to another, repent. This is the first bit of compassionate counsel David offers to help us experience sound sleep. The second is resist. In particular, to resist temptation of being ruled by emotion. Verse 4 begins, Be angry and do not sin. In a moment when you're frustrated and tempted to sin, David is saying, don't. Have self-control. The language, be angry and do not sin, another interpretation is tremble or be disturbed and do not sin. If you've ever experienced deep frustration or anger, perhaps because of how someone has hurt you with words or with their actions, it may have caused your body to shake, caused your body to tremble. You know what this verse is talking about. The emotion is being felt not just at, an emo- at a mental level, 
It is being felt at a physical level too. I described this type of moment for me earlier. My body was shaking. I actually threw up. David is saying in such a moment, resist the temptation of being ruled by emotion. Don't lash out. Don't act in a way that is sinful. Now, just to be clear, he's not saying being angry or being emotional is sinful. Perhaps that is very much the right response to a particular circumstance. But he is saying, when you're angry, when emotions have escalated, don't lose self-control. Don't let emotions rule you and draw you into sinful behavior. Though you have strong feelings of frustration and disappointment, submit those emotions. Repent. Resist. These are the first two pieces of compassionate counsel. The third is reflect. Ponder in your hearts on your beds and be silent. We've worked through David's first two pieces of compassionate counsel. I want to linger on this third one a little longer. Again, you'll notice there's another Selah. David wants us to pause here. He wants us to be silent, to think. I'm burdened for us to be people who are characterized by more reflection, to be people who ponder in our hearts, on our beds, and are silent. I think this is a concept we often struggle with. Not necessarily because we're too busy on social media at night, or because we're too busy playing games on a device, or because we're too busy escaping to watch things like Netflix or Amazon Prime or Hulu, although that might be true. At night, I'm, I'm more concerned we are pondering in our hearts things that are not good. Listen to Psalm 36. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. Many times we ponder, when we ponder in bed, we set ourselves up in a way that is not good. We do not reject evil. Maybe we go to bed thinking about the circumstances of others, making comparisons, coveting the possessions or the lifestyles or the freedom others appear to have. And we wallow in self-pity. She has it so much better than I do. If my wife were that type of wife, well, then I'd be happy. If my husband would only do this, well, then I'd feel so much better. If I had a different type of job, well, then I wouldn't be so sad. We wallow and wail in self-pity. We do not reject evil. We meditate on the words of an accuser. She must hate me. I must be so much worse of a person than I thought. We become self-absorbed. We can't get those thoughts and those words out of our mind. We do not reject evil. We become angry about those who make statements about us. We entertain frustrations and bitterness. We make 
judgments about motives. We contemplate gossip. We generate negative thoughts and feelings about others to regain a a personal sense of wholeness, to relieve our pain. We do not reject evil. As we reflect on the painful moments of the day, we ponder self-sufficiency and how to self-protect. We say to ourselves, that didn't hurt. I just need to stop thinking about it. We make a personal commitment to never let anyone hurt us again, sealing our hearts up from future vulnerability. And so we do not reject evil. Our mind races. We reflect on the accusations of others. We listen to accusations generated by our own own voice. We plot trouble. We speak and do not reject evil. David says, stop. Be silent. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. This word ponder, it's an interesting word in light of the word silence. It means speak to your heart, signifying thinking and planning. It is not disengaging. It is not emptying your mind. So on the one hand, David is saying, stop, be silent. But on the other hand, David is saying, speak to your heart. Ponder his words to you. Ponder what he would have you do. David is describing a disposition Pastor Paul Tripp refers to as speaking the gospel to yourself. I find myself saying it all the time. When people hear it, they laugh. But actually, I'm, I'm being quite serious when I say it. No one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. You are talking to yourself all the time, interpreting, organizing, and analyzing what's going on inside you and around you. You may be talking to yourself about why you feel so tired Or maybe why you you woke up this morning with a sense of dread and you aren't sure why. Maybe your mind has traveled back to your distant past and for reasons you don't understand, you're recalling events from your early childhood. Here's the question. How wholesome, faith-driven, and Christ-centered is the conversation that you have with yourself every day? Do you remind yourself of your need Do you point yourself once again to the beauty and practicality of God's grace? Do you tell yourself to run toward him in those moments when you feel like running from him? David is saying, silence the internal voice to plot evil, the internal voice of accusation and and self-pity. Reflect on the words of your living God who is present with you. Ponder the words of grace and love and mercy and how he longs for you to live. Listen to them. Reflect on them. Repent, resist, reflect. And four, reorient. Specifically, reorient your heart to the Lord. Verse five, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Don't Don't trust your circumstances. Don't let what you're seeing right now or experiencing right now determine how you act. In a moment of distress, in a moment others have caused you deep pain, it is so easy to allow such a moment to rule you. David says, 
in such a moment, trust the Lord. He is the one that determines how you live. He provides for you. He has given you much. Live for him, sacrifice to him, reorient to him. Since we're talking about words, how words can harm others and how our words can even harm ourselves, one of the primary ways we can reorient is how we use our words. Rather than words of self-pity, rather than words of accusation, rather than words to plot evil, we can use words in a way, as David says, to offer right sacrifices. Right words can be a sacrifice to the Lord. The book of James references this truth when it says, with it, and the the it he's referring to uh, is our tongue. He's talking about our tongue. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. Your words have the power to build up or tear down. Words of accusation are particularly powerful. So are words of self-pity. Those words spread and tear down and destroy. They hurt, they wound, they are evil. They are words of cursing. Don't offer those types of words. Offer right sacrifices, words of blessing, words of encouragement, and put your trust in the Lord. Repent, resist, reflect, reorient. This is David's counsel to help those who may be prone to accuse, to help them reverse course, to rest in the Lord and to experience sleep. After this, David transitions from internal dialogue with accusers to some dialogue with the Lord. This dialogue with the Lord, it, it is helping minister to him and it's helping minister to us and helping us understand what it looks like to rest in the Lord. Verse six, there are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So this question, who will show us some good? This is actually another accusation from the people who are wounding David with their words. But at this point, their accusations are no longer being directed towards a person, but rather towards God himself. They're accusing God of not giving them good. They're saying, what's up, God? Many say you are good, but that's not my experience of you. Why don't you give me something good? They have a high view of entitlement. I've been working hard. I've been praying. I've been leading a godly life. And yet, I'm not getting what I deserve, God. You're not giving me good. I'm not getting your blessing. They are mocking God. Who will show us some good? David recognizes God's blessing is not based on external circumstances. His joy is not connected to the abundance of grain and wine. The ability to rest is not rooted in circumstantial prosperity. That is not what brings joy and peace. It is recognizing and experiencing and seeing the person of God in his life. It is depending on his words 
and his presence. So earlier we glanced at an aspect of verse 1. David's crying out for physical space. To consider how David depends on God's presence and God's words, I want to return to verse 1. David begins this psalm addressing God with a confident cry. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. David expresses numerous imperatives, otherwise known as directives or commands to the Lord. It is as as if he is telling the Lord what to do. Answer me when I call. Be gracious to me. Have mercy on or excuse me, hear my prayer. The translation in the New International Version actually captures a fourth command. Give me relief. Regardless of whether the number is three or four, David is expressing numerous commands to the God of the universe. This type of language, at least how we think about it, is typically reserved for someone with a position of power or authority. Maybe a military commander providing directives to those he or she is in authority over. A teacher directing students to do particular tasks. A parent telling a child, don't run in the street. Eat your vegetables. Be back by 10. Answer me when I call to you. We typically do not encounter the reverse. The one with lesser authority and power expressing directives or commands to the one with greater authority and power. A child saying to a parent, don't run in the street, eat your vegetables, mom, be back by 10, answer me when I call to you. The one with lesser authority and power, they may want the one with greater authority and power to do something, but rather than command, they approach with a request. They approach with respect and reverence. They do not typically approach with a command. Now, you, you, we're going to find that this language is expressed throughout the psalm. Psalm 4 is not an exceptional hour, outlier. But I want to pause on this because I want us to be people who are more bold in how we pray. And I want myself to be more bold in how I pray. So let me ask you, do you pray this way? Do you ever approach God expressing commands? I certainly do not, ever. I don't ever do this. And and when I have prayed with many of you, I recognize we are often shy and timid in approaching the Lord. Maybe we miss something as we were being discipled, but we do not express commands as we approach the Lord. What gives David such security and such confidence to express bold commands to God? Now, you might argue, maybe this is a moment David's ego is falsely inflated, where he views himself with such pride and arrogance that not only does he believe he can order subjects around as king, but he believes he can order the God of the universe around too. This is certainly not uncommon to kings or emperors or rulers in authority. Maybe that is why he is speaking so boldly. Or maybe you could argue, maybe this is a moment where the stress of the situation 
has gotten the better of him. In general, David believes God is the one in power and authority. He certainly relates to God like this throughout much of Scripture. But maybe in a moment of stress, his demeanor changes, and he embraces a position where his needs are at the center of the universe. You see this in two- and three-year-olds quite often. They're, they're often times respectful. Mommy, can I have some milk? Or, Daddy, will you play with me? But when she doesn't get what she wants, when she is frustrated, she pounds her fists. He whines. He complains. His request is transformed into a demand. Give me some milk. Pray, play with me now. Answer me when I call to you. In such a moment, the child accuses the parent of not serving his or her needs. Is David experiencing such a moment? Is he accusing the Lord of not serving his needs in a moment of stress? Is he alleging God is distant and distracted? David is either a very arrogant and foolish man, or for some reason... He is very secure in his relationship with God. What is the source of his confidence? As I contemplated these questions one night, after putting my three younger children to bed, while my oldest daughters and wife were at at a retreat, from, from her bed, I hear my youngest daughter call, Daddy! Now I'm trying to get some work done. I mean, I'm doing godly things, right? I'm working on this sermon. So I tell, I mean, this is what I tell myself at least. So I pause and thinking, maybe if I just don't answer, she'll she'll move on to something else. It won't be that big of a deal. Second time. Daddy! Now let me translate. She is not saying, Daddy, will you please? I love it. She is, she is not saying in this moment, Daddy, will you come here pretty please? Daddy, you're such an awesome daddy. I have something to ask you. She is saying, Daddy, come here. I need you. I need you to hear me. After a bit more of a pause, I hear a third time, Daddy! So I walk up the stairs, look into her eyes, and she says, I miss mommy, daddy. We talk, I hug her, we pray. What would give her such confidence to command her daddy to come? Why would she speak so boldly to the one with greater authority? We teach our kids to be polite. In this moment, is she embracing a position of arrogance when she expresses commands for her daddy to come? Is she accusing him of being distracted or abandoning her in a time of need, even though he is imperfect and that could be true? Or is it something else? She expresses commands to her daddy because she expects him to respond. Not because she is the center of the universe, Not because she believes her needs and desires are ultimate, but because she knows she is loved by him. Based on her experience, based on her knowledge of his character, she knows he will respond to her. He is a source of peace and security. David expresses commands to the Lord because he expects him to respond. 
Not because he is the center of the universe, not because he believes his needs and desires are ultimate, but because he knows the Lord. He knows God is the source of his security. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Reading between the lines, this psalm tells us David knows he is loved. He knows God forgives him. He knows God has set him apart. He knows God shows him mercy. He knows God is gracious to him. He knows God provides for him. He knows God is his source of joy. He knows God gives him peace. And if you reflect on God's word to you, if you ponder his work in your life, you know the same is true of you. Here's what I reflect on with my daughter and with David. They take comfort, not in circumstance. My daughter's circumstance didn't change. Her mommy was still gone, yet she was able to sleep soundly. David's circumstance didn't change, yet he was able to sleep soundly. It is a person, not a circumstance that provides peace and security. Christian, child of God, beloved daughter, beloved son, you will not find your comfort and joy and peace and safety in external circumstance. You are set apart for something different. To find internal, eternal joy and comfort and peace and safety in your Savior.